Grey's Anatomy, the most iconic binge-worthy drama, is back, along with answers to the biggest cliffhangers. Will Teddy survive? Will Joe and Link finally find happiness together? Meredith returns along with fan faves like Arizona. You can now stream every episode of Grey's ever on Hulu and new episodes next day. Watch the season premiere of Grey's Anatomy Thursday at 9, 8 central on ABC and stream on Hulu. Hey friends, welcome to What Are You Watching? I'm your host, Chris Mancini. This is the show where we interview comedians and entertainment pros and find out what the people who make entertainment are watching. First of all, you may have noticed there are less shows every month. I've officially cut the show down to twice a month as well, you know, well, bandwidth. I really want to focus on what I love doing the most, and that's storytelling, so I'll be focusing on The Quiet Journeys of Professor Atwood, a sequel to Long Ago in the Far Away graphic novel, and maybe a new season of Conversations from the Abyss. But I really love talking about movies and TV shows, kept catching up with friends, meeting new ones, so I just needed to refocus limited energies. And I have a hard time letting things go. Anyone else out there? No? Okay, just me? No. <laughs> anyway, got some fun stuff coming up this year, working on some comic book convention appearances. I'll maybe even get a table, a small press table, if I could figure that out. Another Kickstarter in the works for a long going far away. And of course, more podcast goodness for The Quiet Journeys of Professor Atwood. Hopefully a soundscape album coming soon, depending on our composer's uh, new equipment and when the new iMac comes out. <laughs> so... Uh, new guests here and what are you watching and like I said maybe a new season of conversations from the abyss so we want to kind of uh, work on all that and a couple of other projects that are in development so we'll see what happens uh, but I want to thank everyone for supporting the show and the company through the patreon kickstarters and of course the white cat entertainment store it helps a lot and is much appreciated and remember the white cat adventures club you get ad free listening it's it starts at only five bucks a month you also get early access and a bonus episode every month only for members. You'll also get sneak peeks at artwork from the graphic novels, Professor Atwood's um, very irregular journal, some soundscapes, some extra movie and TV reviews, occasionally a video game review, and more. Like I said, the member tier started only 5 bucks a month. There's a shout-out tier at 25 a month and a few in between. Like uh, the $10 tier, you'll actually get digital copies of the graphic novels along with the soundscapes. But most importantly, you're helping the company and all of the White Cat Entertainment content be created, and it helps tremendously. So go to patreon.com slash whitecatentertainment. But hey, membership, maybe that's not your thing. You just want to do a one and done and donate $10,000. Okay, well, I know that's unrealistic. I'm just saying, you know, as for, for, a, uh, for argument's sake, you could just go to whitecatentertainment.com and click donate, drop whatever you want, whenever you want. Honestly... No donation too small. It all goes into the company, and it all helps. So thanks so much. And now, I want to introduce my guest. He's a comedian, an actor, a writer, and someone you will recognize if you listen to Conversations from the Abyss. Friends, may, may I introduce David Huntsberger. David, how are you? 
I'm great, Chris, and it's good to hear your voice, and even though this is only for audio, I'm currently seeing your face, and I'm enjoying that. Yes. <laughs> Likewise. It's good. It's, you know, a virtual catch-up is always fun. Yeah. I. Um... And we're both in garages, so it kind of, like, <laughs> creates, like, a, a out-of-the-house camaraderie, so... <laughs> I've recently decided that you and I are more alike than I had given any thought to previously. I don't know if you've considered that at all, but you started. I have actually. Really? (laughs) Yes, I have. (laughs) It just. Indeed. I think that you did everything a little bit before me in a way. Like when we met, I was doing the road and just I thought of comedy that way. I thought of myself like, oh, I'm just. I'm like a road dog comedian. I'm just out there right. doing sets. And mm-hmm. you did that through the old like improv model, was, the Bud Friedman oh, yeah. and the yep. early stuff. I did a four I was four weeks a year in Vegas and then two to four weeks in like all the other improv casinos. So it would it was I was on that tour. In fact I just went to Bud Friedman's uh, uh funeral and uh like they had a nice celebration for him at the improv. Yeah, it was kind of part of that family. It was very, very sad because his stepson managed me. His um, and his kid was in one of my short films, so I kind of knew the whole family. It was wow. uh, quite an era. Yeah, I felt when I when I started, people would ask, "Do you do the circuit?" And I would always think, "What are you talking about?" But that it, yes, that really <laughs> what you just what you just described was that sort of circuit of oh, I'm in I'm yes. looping through all the improvs, and that was a normal thing. And I, mm-hmm. to me, that was like the most enviable period of comedy in that, like, it was not that it would ever be unionized, but it felt like you could get a ticket and get on the train. And shortly after that, it became just scattered and kind of a hodgepodge. And just, you had to collect this aggregate and like, I'm doing a funny bone here. I'm doing an improv there. I'm driving all the way over right. doing a one-nighter. It was just getting mm-hmm. in that, that earlier phase seemed way more enjoyable. But then with writing and stuff too, the more I've been writing like intercepts and stuff and thinking um of you doing like tales me abyss which i love Uh, i think we're Mm -hmm. yeah like more similar than i had ever really given any thought to yeah absolutely and that's why when when you were doing this show i'm like oh my gosh i can't wait to start listening to it because i knew like in your head it would be (laughs) weird and interesting (laughs) and, and and funny um, and it does not disappoint. That's for sure. I've listened to every episode so far. Wow, man. Um, thank and, you. But what what amazes me, too, is because I know how hard these are to uh, put together, that um, you're le- releasing them every week, which is like that. I'm thinking, oh, that's ballsy because that's, <laughs> that's a lot of content to, you know, to drop per week because they take forever to produce and record and edit and put the sound design in and you do music as well. And uh, um like I would do like a season. I would do like eight spread out over like twice a month, and then the cut. So it would make it feel like it was longer, a longer <laughs> season. But um, so so, what are your plans for intercepts? Like, do you have like, all right, I'm going to do a season, or I'm just going to do one a week until I collapse? So, <laughs> <laughs> well, as we uh, are recording, the tenth one is sort of sitting in the hopper. I went back to mm-hmm. the early stages of podcasting and just kind of re-examining it I think of like earbuds and some of the things we talked about of like where's it going and right. every company that sprang up what was their what were they trying to gain what what is every plug-in looking to do what is every company that mm-hmm. partners you with advertising trying to do and so I went back and kind of created like my own network in a sense I, I write all the xml so I'm doing like all the code 
which is all the tutorials in any forum posts are all from like 2010 on that. It's it's sort of like <laughs> everything just stopped. And once plugins got in the picture, people were like, why would I write right. my own enclosures? Yeah. <laughs> but you have a certain level of autonomy, which also means if you if you have like a, a semicolon out of place, everything is messed up. So there's right. there's like some some skin it's in like the game. HTML on a website. Exactly like that. And and weirdly, like we talked about in earbuds is that like, you know, if your TV show gets canceled, well, that's a lot of production trucks and cameras and lights and PAs and human bodies to make it. And in reality, with a podcast is just that XML file. It is just distributing it to the internet. And as long as you have that, you have ownership of that mm -hmm. and all the networks that, well, we'd love to, we'd love to get, that's going to be tough. We got to talk to our engineers and see if we can exchange. <laughs> I mean, it is a page of code. It's nothing. <laughs> And so I started. Now, I started just writing. Well, wait, it. Let, let me let me back up a little bit because that's really interesting from the tech side. Now, when you're writing like your XML and all this stuff, um, are you? Do you have your podcast on a hosting site, or are you kind of doing it, even creating the RSS feed on your own? Yeah, hundred percent on on my end. I I think it just stemmed from like a ton of bad deals, a ton of just like <laughs> I cannot believe like not only do I not own that, it's not out in the world. I don't have any mm -hmm. control over who sees it or hears it, and it it's it gets sold over and over again all these entities you create end up being just buried so people have kind of a a mountain of content which is such a gross word it's not even entertainment it's not art it's just ugh, it's just matter <laughs> and so i was like i did an out a stand up album that and i was so convinced like this one's not that's not going to happen to it and sure enough it got mired in like litigation type stuff and it's just it just disappeared. And so I started writing and recording these just for fun. Just like, what can I do? Just mm -hmm. we're all kind of still trapped at home. I want to see my friends and do something fun, but I don't want to keep scheduling like zoom happy hours and things. And right. Mm -hmm. I had always riffed all these sketches for space cave. I would just kind of, I would set up two mics and I would just improv a sketch back and forth. And sometimes I'd edit them a little bit, but anything that felt like work, I was like, I'm a comedian. I, I don't sit down and do all this extensive work. And as you listen to maybe more like true crime podcasts and the amount of production going in, I was like, well, is it, is it, does it feel gross to put that level of attention and time into comedy? It kind of did. I thought comedians like mm -hmm. to here, you get out there and be funny and I'll handle all the stuff. But the more my life was going on, I was realizing like, oh, that's a nice thing to take advantage of. You you get out there and just enjoy having the lights on you and the mic in your hand and I'll make all the money or I'll control the rights to everything you create. <laughs> so I just was looking at it a little differently. Don't worry about it. Don't look at don't look at the man behind the curtain. <laughs> yeah, so. don't, don't, and it felt just like that. Don't look behind that curtain. And as I started looking, I was like, it's just an XML file. And it's it's really not that challenging to make. It's pretty understandable. And you start to really understand metadata a little bit more. So then all the writing and recording and stuff, it is, like you said, extremely arduous. But I was just like, I'm going to do 10. I'll take a little break. Um, if I can get, you know, a little bit of momentum in any way, I'd like to just do it. It The show grows and gets way bigger than the first 10 I just can't keep it up. I couldn't I couldn't do like 50 weeks straight of it, but I can take a month or two <laughs> off and regroup and then do 10 more. And so that's my plan for now. And mm -hmm. so I built a kind of my own Patreon into this website so that if I mm -hmm. start having people subscribe and help out, I think that's the future of entertainment. I think people, as much as they want to, 
you know, subscribe to Netflix and Hulu and maybe Amazon Prime and on and on and on. It just becomes too much. So if you can be like particular and say, I want to put my resources here so this, these people making what I like are able to make it, there's a little more ownership. You feel included, feel like you're a part of it. And I hope people feel that way with, with Intercepts a little bit where they will like want to chip in and then I, I could hire editors and I could like, I could just write and mm. record and I, I really think I could keep it up year round or, you know, at least like 20 to 30 episodes a year, which is, that's more mm. than most TV shows. That's a lot. They're all 25 minutes long with very it limited ads. So it's, it's a ton to, <laughs> <sighs> it's, it's, <laughs> it's fun so though. That, that, that's really interesting. So you've basically kind of like done on your own without using any platforms a host a podcast hosting service and like a patreon service and you've kind of wrapped them all together in your um in, on your website yeah if you you know i got into patreon fairly early i was resistant at first mm -hmm. i just thought ah man i already have done like a kickstarter and you know, I, the model you know understanding what it's going to be do i really want to like ask people but then you find out as you do it people really want to help they want to be a part they of it do. and mm -hmm. so i felt better about patreon but sure enough like they you know the one there they have venture capitalists who've invested in them and they're going to be looking for a profit which means fees are going to be going up and is it sustainable at some point if they become kind of like netflix like hey it's cool everyone's on patreon but apple now has a subscription thing where and I don't know if you know this, like Patreon, when they give you an RSS link, it's basically just like, hey, don't don't share this because anyone can use it. It is not proprietary. It's not encrypted. It's not protected in any way. It's just an honor system. Hey, don't don't share this, which of course you wouldn't. You know, you're like, I support this show. I'm not going to rob them. I'm only here because I like them. So it works in that sense. But they're able to kind of backdoor their way into Apple podcasts because of that, because if you have any kind of encryption Apple's like, uh-uh, get out of here. And then now right. Apple added Apple subscriptions, which means... Because they me, wanted to make their own. That's the reason. For sure. <laughs> yeah. So it seems like a ticking clock where they're going to boot Patreon. And then I think the mm -hmm. podcast player app is going to be the next sort of frontier. Like, is Stitcher going to drop out of that? You know, Acast already mm -hmm. like got rid of theirs. I think a lot of companies are trying to figure out, we have to put so much money into the tech and the resources to maintain this app but in order mm -hmm. to make money, you have to do something that maybe doesn't go, doesn't jibe with your views as a company. Mm -hmm. So then you have, then you have to, you'd have to have like the White Cat Entertainment player app and everything being right. very proprietary. But I, yeah, it just feels like that's the way it's going to go in maybe ten years. So Ever, then everyone has a thousand apps on their phone to like listen to <laughs> the specific things. I think because we're we're still transitioning from like Cheers and MASH and CBS and ABC and Fox and thinking like the world is this big. And as you get into 8 billion people and you get into everyone having access to like contribute stuff. And then with Web3, which is like open source and just it's it's incomprehensible how enormous it is and well, how much stuff there is. I mean, Web3 is either, you know, the next level or it's a myth. So, so <laughs> <laughs> if it, but if it is going to be the thing where like there is just so much that you don't need to have it behind any kind of firewall, you can have your code out there open. No one's going to steal it because there's nothing for them to get anymore. Everything's the groundwork right. has been laid. You would be like, oh, so 
the you know neat that uh, say Apple Plus develops a ton of shows and they can lose a billion dollars and they can pay all these mm-hmm. very famous people a ton of money. But if you and I only watch three episodes and click out, they're just looking at it like we lost a billion dollars. We didn't just break even. We lost a billion dollars and it didn't take. And yet here's this little company over here just churning out hits, whether they're a podcast company. But if you make things that people like and then you respond to that, it's a way different model than just like, we're just going to make a ton of stuff and hope that people end up liking one of them and we'll go from there. So then you're yeah, you're like- the Netflix a, model. Yeah, and look what Netflix becomes, mm-hmm. like these trashy dating shows and like you end up responding to the, the market demand, which is usually for trash. And so people are going to be looking for- you know, something that feels a little bit more their speed. And if they can get that individually or like through White Cat or, you know, one of these places, of course they'll get it on their phone. And having 20 Mm -hmm. apps really isn't, as long as you're not siphoning off all their data and scrolling through all their stuff behind the scenes, (laughs) if they trust you, they're like, it's a lightweight app. It's not that big of a burden. Now, let's talk about the content a little bit for uh, Intercepts. Now, it's um, it's sketch comedy, and it's, like, bizarre and surreal. Like, some of the, like, they're very, like, uh, um, abstract in in a, a couple ways. But whereas a couple of them are very specific, but some of them are, like, very abstract, where you're not even sure what's going on until towards the end of the, uh, the sketch. Like, what's your kind of process to create them? Because you're, you're going all over the place. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it came. I mean, I, I like that you would describe it that way because you never know. You know, when you're writing stuff, you're mm-hmm. like, well, I'm just writing it. And it, this probably feels like a million other books or, you know, things that people have read. Or, um, But a lot of my friends I've sent them to, like, oh, this is so you. And you never really know what that means. I'm like, what do you mean? It just feels like... <laughs> If everyone wrote, they would write this. And I think as you put more stuff out there, people are like, I don't think so. This feels very specific yeah. to, to like your brain. Yes. Which is fun. Mm-hmm. Um, I In the beginning, it was, I'm going to try to do an album and just having some thoughts that were kind of rolling around in there. Like, can I get a, 10 ideas generated? And I want them mm-hmm. to be 10 different things. But as I started writing, I really enjoyed writing. It's fun. like people are always kind of, putting post-it notes and kind of game planning as to what they're going to write and have it all mapped out. And I went sort of the opposite way. I just started putting stuff together and then be like, oh, I guess that's a sketch. And I would save it and then move on to the next one. And then Mm -hmm. over time, it just was a ton. And then revisiting something like, oh, that could be a story. And pretty soon they all just became these little tendrils where they all have their own Some of them don't. Some are just a one-off. But a lot of them Mm -hmm. end up being these narratives that branch from within this this big world. Um, Some of that came from, you know, just writing to a a friend's voice. You know, like oh that Mm -hmm. they would they sound like this to me, creating a character. Or I would be just driving around rambling to myself as a character. And sometimes I would think (laughs) of just like an interaction or just a punchline or just something that I thought was funny to say. And like, can I write my way Mm -hmm. toward that or build something around that? And, and then I just, I, I thought of like all of our great sketch writers, they all become celebrities. They become movie stars. They leave SNL or, you know, whatever place they leave Mm -hmm. kids in the hall. They leave the places that we go oh that's where they were at their best and they become pitch people for like wireless networks or something and (laughs) i thought what if they pushed themselves and just built that muscle up and so i was i never did any of that i never wrote for any of those type of shows so it was just me being like 
exploring that and seeing if I could do it. And, and knowing that like, say at SNL, they have a deadline, you know, it has to be done. You, yeah. you, you can't just mm-hmm. sit there and dwell on it and perfect it and polish it up. You have to be like, it's good enough. Let's go. And, and you're that pitching was helpful. against the other writers too, because it's, um, it's yeah. you know, you've got to get your stuff to the producers, and you want to be the one that gets picked up, and you so you've got to be loud and uh, <laughs> aggressive in, in in like a pitch room, you know, you think, oh great, I got the job. No, that's you got the job, but now you have to get stuff on the air, and there there's that constant yeah. grind of pressure, but. Uh, uh, I want to talk a little bit about the casting because you know you've got a lot of great people, but you don't really reuse a lot of uh, people. So you've literally have a cast of like how many people? It's got to be forty or fifty actors. Oh, it's tons. Yeah, it just and there are a lot of people that come back, and I left it very open. If people had fun and were like, mm-hmm. like you were like, yeah, let me know when you know you're busy. Absolutely. I know that like I don't want to inundate mm-hmm. you with thirty pages and be like, get that to me. Mm-hmm. But if from time to time, five to 10 pages, if you're like, yeah, yeah, it's fun. That's kind of how I leave it. So I write stuff where if this person says, I'm too busy, I can never do this again. We go, great, good to see you. It was really fun. <laughs> and if they show an That'd interest- That'd be a weird thing to say, but okay, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you get a sense 20 from years from now, don't ask me. <laughs> <laughs> you definitely get a sense, even if people are maybe enthusiastic where- you know, they don't have time to meet up and do a Zoom or have any kind of direction. Or to me, that was the most fun is let's catch up a little bit. Yeah. Uh, and, and you know, when people don't, they're like, all right, I'm just going to send you one take of each line or something. Fine. Some people are really good at that. And other times I would take that as like, okay, this wasn't for them. This They didn't, they, they felt like they were doing me a favor. And I never really wanted it to feel like anyone was doing anyone a favor. Right. It's just an excuse to do something fun, fun. and... I don't know if you have this where like I really respond to when people are up for doing things for the sake of creativity. I think when you get into entertainment and it suddenly, you know, finances become a part of it and people start turning away from it a little bit to like I only I only go where there's some some revenue. And you're like, well, that that's not what you got into it. You know, then I I'm like, all right, well, good luck over there. I'll, I, I like when people enjoy the creative <laughs> creativity and just doing stuff to be silly. Absolutely. Yeah. It's um it's it's always nice to have a mix and like, all right, well this fun thing is making me money. Now I can do this fun thing for nothing. So <laughs> Oh yeah, to, I would love that. I mean it yeah. it's yeah. a hard thing to <laughs> to steer toward to be like Yeah. Uh. <laughs> That's ideal. That's the goal. It's always you know, I, I talk to production people too, like even people like DPs and uh, they're like, well, one for them and one for me. Like, you know, when they make movies, it's like, well, I'd love to work on this indie thing, but I need this one to kinda pay the bills but uh i think sometimes people get caught in that trap well now i'm not doing anything for fun anymore i'm only doing things for money and uh that's yeah. when you kind of start losing the joy in it a little bit i think but um uh, well uh david i think we've uh caught up a fair amount and uh <laughs> got a real cool insight into uh intercepts but now i have to ask you david huntsberger what are you watching well i'm glad you've asked chris and this <laughs> i don't know if it's for you that way i mean we'll go through phases where we're not watching a lot or i'm meaning me and my partner but at the same time like going back to like mash or cheers you know you would have that one night a week for people of that and that was like a little bit before me really but just that era of like oh it's tuesday we're gonna sit down and watch this Mm -hmm. and now when the day is over and i don't know if it's because everything's just so busy now where you're like what are we watching tonight and you're watching stuff so frequently that like what are you watching 
is almost like a weekly thing. You're like, oh, we finished that show two weeks ago. I don't even really remember it. We're on to this next right. thing. Or So I've tried mm-hmm. to space that out a little bit with documentaries. But right now we are in the middle of Pachinko. Have you watched that at all? No, tell me about it. I like it. Um, my partner had read the book. She really liked it. And it's the short version is it just spans uh, kind of this, I think it's just one main family over four generations. Uh, they're Korean and during this occupation of Japan, you know, kind of in, the, in a really ugly period and the way they treated Koreans and poverty. When's it set? This is like, what, early 1900s? I, I should know that. They probably reference the time, the time frame, like the 19... 19- I thought you were going to say 1990? So, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so the, the current, or what would be considered current day is like 1989. That's the most recent generation. Mm-hmm. So they flash to a kid who's kind of a result of this family in 1989, mm-hmm. Wall Street type person, nice suit, not really fully mm-hmm. understanding what his family had to go through um, to get to this place. And so they, they do the subtitles in... Korean is one color and Japanese is another color. And I can only imagine if you speak those languages, how much more impactful it would be when someone changes the changes linguistically. And it's just meant Mm -hmm. to be this subtle, like, Oh, there's this Japanese influence here. It can sometimes be deferential. It can sometimes be like dominance. So you, you see it in the subtitles like, Ooh, that was a weird move. You know, that person in that setting said this specific word in Japanese, which meant, so you read, there's like lots of little subtleties as far as um, just power and the way people treat each other as civilizations have done, you know, humans do to each other over and over again, just being terrible and how do mm-hmm. people overcome that? How do they fight through it? How do they maintain a sense of um, confidence and identity and self-worth? And there, there have been a couple scenes where I was like, oh, that was a weird one, which I guess any show these days is going to have. But overall, I think it's done really well. It's pretty. I like that there are no guns. There's not much violence. I really kind of need that in my life these days. So I'm, I'm is very... it like a family drama where it just kind of goes through the day to day of uh, you know the, these generations of this family? Yeah, it, it mostly follows one woman, and we kind of flash to her. Is it as a like grand... Yellowstone, but in Korea? <laughs> <laughs> it, yeah, it's Yellowstone in Korea. That's uh... yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Picture myself like on the bus or something. Hey, you want to watch yeah. a good show? It's like Yellowstone, but, for... <laughs> but it's in Korea. <laughs> I'm eating a big sandwich. Uh, <laughs> yeah, they follow the 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 grandmother, and they flash to her as a teenager, and then her now mm-hmm. uh, with her grandson a little bit. And uh, it, it's if you saw Minari, I don't know, it's the grandmother from that who's just the best. She's such a good actor. I really I love her, and I I can't I don't know her name, but she's very good. I I'm trying to remember. I think I might have seen Minari actually. Yeah. Okay. Um, so you would highly recommend Pachinko. Highly. You know, or just I, recommend. <laughs> I think I would. Oh. I don't know. It's hard to say these days because there is so much stuff. And I, it baffles me that there are people taking time out of their day to write something negative about something because there's just mm-hmm. so much. Like, correct your algorithm. Have you met the internet? <laughs> yeah, I know. Like, <laughs> I've really stepped away from the internet a lot. It's been very helpful. Mm-hmm. And when I go in, 
It would be like being out in a field, and then if you just always walk by this one tree where there were just birds screeching at each other and feathers flapping, <laughs> as you walk away from that tree, you're like, what is going on in that tree? Why? Always just... <laughs> and, you know, that's that's how the internet at large, but specifically Twitter, feels. And I don't understand it. I don't see why the need to find fault in things when... There are endless amounts of other options that you can seek out and you can sort of train an algorithm to feed you things that that meet you, what you like. And I think when people are mad, they're probably just mad that, oh, I think I like these really great documentaries and in-depth sort of shows. But in reality, the damn algorithm keeps giving me these trashy dating shows. And it's like that because you like it. That's you. That's why you're so mad. That's why you're mad on the Internet. And anger is easier to monetize of all the emotions. <laughs> so that's the stuff that goes viral yeah. the quickest, Yeah, sadly. Um, what, what's it on, Pachinko? Because I haven't heard um, of it. Apple Plus, which is Apple what Plus, a weird okay. landscape to go see. If you feel like, like I feel this with Intercepts. I just don't think anyone knows it exists. I have to kind of make peace with that. Of like, It is hard these days to get the word out and you just hope the algorithm and the metadata is slowly chipping away and like finding its own audience because people are looking for things but then you'll go to apple plus and there will be like a show with big celebrities people you've definitely seen in other things you've seen them accept awards at shows and it'll be like watch the season three premiere now and you've never heard of the show right and that mm-hmm. really puts in perspective <laughs> like oh whoa it is so competitive there's so much stuff right yeah. now mm-hmm content mountains yeah so well i'm gonna tell you about a film i saw and a film that a lot of my friends refused to see okay uh, because they they were not happy with the first one and i wasn't either but uh, i saw avatar the way of water because we kind of wanted like a family evening out and uh what i did uh we don't go to the movies that often anymore because of not just the pandemic but there are less movies being released and also our our local Cineplex that we had the arc light, then it was a regal. Now it's closing again. Ugh. So we're, we're like losing theaters. But again, I haven't been going that much anymore anyway. Um, so when I go to the movies now, it's like an event. It's like a big Marvel movie. It's a big movie that I really want to see on the big screen. So what we did, and I thought this was interesting, and I'm wondering if this is kind of the future of how we're going to experience movies, is we pay the extra money for the IMAX 3D like so it's an actual like experience almost like going on a uh, um, an amusement park ride so yeah. that kind of thing where you're paying the extra money but I'm gonna this is gonna be an event that I'm going to actually um, see this movie so I'm watching this movie and honestly the technology is like nothing I've ever seen before because when you have an IMAX theater everything is in higher definition it's crisper and this is a little nerdy but uh um, the projection has to be a certain luminance or it's not can't put the word IMAX on it. So ah. everything is like higher level than what a normal digital projector would be in a movie theater. Um, and then you add the 3D on top of that. And it's I've never seen it more clear or more um, just crisp on a 3D and just the images because it's basically an animated movie. I mean, there's yeah. a couple of humans in the beginning, but <laughs> even the humans then get transformed or put into the bodies of the the blue Navi. And uh, so it, it's essentially an animated film. So you could do a lot more with uh, an animated film, that what you're making, especially in 3D. And it was absolutely gorgeous to watch. Now, the movie itself made very little sense. 
And at the end of the day, it felt like a uh, video game that I couldn't play. So, <laughs> <laughs> so it, it was a real interesting experience. But I wasn't like expecting really a lot more than that because the first one was the plot was barely there. It was basically Pocahontas with uh, blue aliens. And uh, so I really wanted to see this movie just for kind of the technological leaps. And sure enough, man, they were there. I mean, it was incredible to look at where you could see kind of not necessarily the future of filmmaking, but the future of the technology of filmmaking. So, um, but would will I see the next one? Probably. <laughs> so, but but I, but I wouldn't watch it like at home on my TV. I wouldn't watch it in regular theater. I would watch it solely for you know to see the technological leaps in this film being made, uh, and the way that James Cameron makes his films. But what's disappointing is that it's not like James Cameron is a filmmaker that isn't capable of making amazing movies. <laughs> when you look at like Terminator and Aliens 2 and all of these great action movies with, you know, fun characters and set pieces, like it's there. I just feel like with the Avatar movies, he got really just kind of like obsessed with the technology and didn't, you know, they could have used a couple more script rewrites. That wouldn't have hurt. <laughs> I mean, I, I know we're talking about clones and aliens and putting us in the bodies of these cloned aliens and now there's cloned people in cloned alien body i'm like okay i you know what enough enough yeah <laughs> now, this is uh you're deliberately making this so i can't follow it i got it okay so you're just gonna make me watch the underwater um sea creatures like i'm like you know what it worked so <laughs> because it, it was so beautiful especially the underwater sequences it was it was incredible so um, it's a weird recommendation. I would only recommend seeing Avatar if you want to see kind of the way the technology has progressed and how beautiful like a video game can look <laughs> in 3D. But if you're actually watching it for a movie experience, not quite as much. But it, it also kind of spoke to the actual experience because now it's like a night out with your family or you know with your your partner. You go out because you're going to spend a lot of money now, especially um because movies are not cheap anymore you go you have dinner and it's like seeing live performance or a play or something so i don't think people are going to do that anymore for like a run-of-the-mill release i think it's going to be more of like a special occasion kind of thing and and the movie theaters are reflecting that as they slowly start to close or you know you've got 14 theaters and multiplexes showing like four different films because there's not enough releases anymore i mean when's the last time you've been to the uh, movie theater Oh, it's been, I don't even know if we've gone post pandemic and we'd, we've met mm -hmm. to a few times, you know, we would just go to like the, the Los Feliz three or, you know, before when there was the, um, what was the one there on the corner that was so great? Uh, the Echoplex, but they just smaller theaters just to be like, well, this is an intimate setting to see a movie that it feels like the filmmakers put a ton of time into. I think right, maybe indie theaters. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, that and now maybe we've gotten so comfortable that like people that would be bummed out, oh, we put so much time into this and now it's just going to mm -hmm. the old thing was like straight to DVD. Well, that doesn't exist anymore, but straight to streaming means is that the worst that people that love movies are sitting at home waiting for them to be delivered to them basically nightly. We're making so much stuff that you can right. watch a different movie every night. Mm -hmm. And is James Cameron ahead of the curve being like I think that Julia Roberts and George Clooney movie was kind of a, a an inflection point moment of 
do movie stars matter? And as an audience, people said, right. no, we don't care. We're not going no, to the theater don't. to watch that crap. That Those days mm-hmm. of red carpet and you know smiling and being charming and all that, all the, if you need that, if you need to feel like a movie star, great, go do that. But while you're doing that, really hungry, innovative um, people with stories to tell are going to take pretty affordable gear these days and rent it and or shoot it on their phones. And they're going to tell the story, which is maybe it's getting back to that. That's what matters. However, if you have the resources like a James Cameron to say, yeah, great, good luck, film school kids, go make a cool story, go put everything, right. put your hearts into it. I'm going to be over here making something that when you're a little older and you want to take the whole family out, even if the story sucks, you're going to have an interesting experience. It's going to be beautiful yep. and well-crafted. And that's exactly, yeah, what what, what he did. And uh, um, like it's really interesting and I, and I hope and I hope it doesn't discourage um, younger and new filmmakers because the other problem is they're all making like viral videos and TikTok videos <laughs> so they're not actually making films anymore yeah uh, so and the indie theaters are struggling as well it's like Quentin Tarantino can't buy all of them so yeah. you have you have these different uh, venues that are also kind of struggling but I really feel like there'll be like a correction in the in the industry where the big event movies will still do okay in movie theaters and the movie theaters may shrink they may not be open all week anymore they might start being open friday to sunday but who knows they're going to have to figure out a way to save money and stay open whereas i would love to see some indie theaters survive like uh like amoeba records where you know you have like a couple of locations where you can get these cool indie movies and um independent filmmakers makers can have their movies projected on big screens and even like like um film festivals i i just talked to um denise gossett over at shriek fest and um they used to do the chapman theater over at what i think it was across from paramount and even like the screening rooms are closing that that theater is closing and it's like an it's an on the lot theater it wasn't even <laughs> open to the public so it, it, there's less and less need for these. And as TVs get bigger and, you know, we, we have bigger and surround sound at home. Uh, but uh, I, I really think if there's going to be a correction, but I hope it doesn't go away completely because I would love to still have that event to take the family or, or just my partner to go see something cool, go to dinner. And then, uh, um, or like, in a, you know, I still love the Marvel movies or like an event movie that we can all go to together. I hope that doesn't go away. Agree. Yeah. I, you know, th- there's still the opera. You would think at some point some of these things that still like there are yes, yes, <laughs> still exists in they some form. To- there people still very excited to go. They keep up mm-hmm. with it. They know who's doing it. I think mm-hmm. th- there's enough room for, and maybe it's just in the way that like think of how many oil refineries there used to be, and now there's just a handful. And maybe theaters will go that route too. Of like, ah, it's a bummer. There used to be. You and I could open a theater and just set up a projection screen, but maybe now with that amount of square footage in the the space or the the upkeep and the costs, the overhead every month, maybe it does make more sense for like four giant companies like AMC, et cetera, to own to own them. And then we all go, all right, it's not the same, but at least it exists. Or maybe it'll become something bigger, more of a spectacle, like no more going. It's two and, or three now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's it. Like, but then even at those two or three. You know, you don't get to stumble into an opera house and be like, you want to see this one about the uh, husband yeah. dies or you want to see this? <laughs> you just have one. Yeah. It is the James Cameron thing this yeah. month and the next yep. month it's right. this, uh, you know, Avengers thing or yep. whatever. 
Nope, no, that one's in Italian. So let me see. You want to see this one over here? So. <laughs> let me see this one. There's no guns. Uh, I want to see this opera with a bunch of guns. So um, uh, what else are you watching? I watched uh, Amsterdam. Did you see that? Oh, I have heard such wildly mixed things about this movie that I, I actually can't wait to see it because um, it's very – it's one of those movies you think, well, that's not going to – um, people aren't going to love it or it's not going to piss people off that much. I saw the trailer. It's going to be just kind of <laughs> mediated, but it is. It's like really pissing people off or people really? are really enjoying it. So yeah, it's it's a it's a weird extreme that I've seen. Uh, so I'm curious to see what you thought. I I should probably make a, like if there's anything to do with like maybe, I can't, maybe there's some racial elements to it that I'm unfamiliar with or maybe they took some wild leaps mm -hmm. in history, but like, you know, everyone was all mad at Green Book but I think Octavia Spencer had a hand in producing it. I think Mahershala is a, such a great actor and he was very committed to it. And, you know, mm -hmm. I think it's dismissive to be like, you know, if, if it had been, you know, no people of color having any hand behind the camera. Yeah. Then like mm -hmm. you can hate green book, but I love a story of people coming together. I love a story of like seeing past each other's differences. I am a sucker for that. And so mm -hmm. if in Hollywood, it's, you know, taboo Again, or have poo you met the internet? <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so I, I can't speak to that as far as Amsterdam, like what the main outrage would be at. But mm -hmm. I like David O. Russell. I like Christian Bale. Um, and I was unfamiliar with there's like a, a triangle. It's Christian Bale, Margot Robbie. And then is it Denzel Washington's son? Might be him. I don't know his first name but he's really good and he's he's got such a subtle style in the way that he does you know i i don't i don't judge acting that much i've heard actors talk mm -hmm. about you know on tv you can be bigger and in film you have to be really small and subtle and with him you can really see that like man he's doing like the most minor little things and it's very compelling but i like the story and i don't know maybe maybe i'm uh I wasn't going into it with that critical of an eye. I didn't know much about mm -hmm. it. And I just thought like, well, if we're, if we're going to just endlessly scroll and look for stuff, I like a lot of the elements involved in this movie. And I, I thought it was great. I really enjoyed it. You really enjoyed it. Okay. And now what's, uh, what's it about? Um, Cause it didn't get a lot from the trailer. <laughs> I don't know if I want to say too much. I, I would say that the most mm -hmm. generic version is, uh, a wealthy guy goes to war at the behest of like his his betrothed family and he suffers a pretty bad injury and therefore he gets into being a doctor and a surgeon and, and kind of helping wounded veterans returning from I think World War One. And uh the movie is not really about that, but it's these friends that form mm -hmm. there in Amsterdam and then it follows their lives as it goes forward from there. Um it okay. has to do with I got none of that from the trailer, but uh, that's... <laughs> <laughs> it's like a Sounds... buddy movie in a fun way, yeah. you know, like... Um... Okay. Well, I'll check it out. It's on, again, on streaming, and it's another movie that I'm like, well, I'm not going to the movie theater for that. <laughs> I'll just wait. And it's, you know, I think it's on HBO Max now or something, so yeah. I'll watch it there. Oh, I went and saw... That's what. We saw everything all the time, all at once in a theater. That was oh, the last yeah, thing I think yeah. I saw. Well worth it. Like, you could tell... And I had done this thing called Big Nothingness where I had to learn After Effects and do all this compositing. So I was very sensitive to like those little transitions and dithering and dead pixels. Mm -hmm. And you could just feel all the care they put into every frame of that movie. And it felt like it 
warranted being seen in a theater. And Amsterdam's more of just like- a really fun movie. Oh, so fun. I mean, very much, uh, I don't want to give anything away, but yeah, very enjoyable. And just, you could tell the care that went in. Amsterdam is more like, well, we have a big budget and big actors and let's make a movie. But it it didn't seem like a group of friends hold up just going on a walk while their computer rendered files very slowly. And they had to wait and be like, how's that movie coming along? Mm -hmm. Ah, it's in the apartment. It's got like eight hours left on this composite render. Amsterdam doesn't feel like that. But that being said, Mm. still, still enjoyable. Okay. Well, um, you know, we have time for a couple more. I want to talk about this one show because I think it might be one that you might find interesting. Um, But it's really kind of goes in a lot of different directions on HBO Max. This is a show that uh, kind of went under the radar for a while. It's actually on season four. It's another one. You're like, I don't, did this, when did this come out? (laughs) And it was part of like, I think it was something like DC Unlimited or something where like DC kind of had its own pay-per-view service where you could get like a couple of shows and some free comics and all that stuff. It it collapsed almost instantly <laughs> and uh, got the assets got rolled into uh, Warner Brothers to you know the, the parent company. And the show is Doom Patrol and it's this weird superhero show and the Doom Patrol has always been like a weird bunch of weird comics. Uh uh, and characters they're like kind of like dc universe adjacent they reference the dc universe a lot um and occasionally somebody from the dc universe shows up there but it's such a weird show like the first ep- uh, the first season the villain is like mr nobody who talks directly to the audience to you watching like as <laughs> you know the show is progressing so it's a totally weird surreal show the the so you've got and brendan frazier is amazing in it he plays uh like the robot guy and uh um they all have these weird powers they don't know what to do with them they don't know how to save anybody or themselves and it's kind of like a mess it's like if you had a superhero team that really knew nothing about doing anything it would be them and uh um they play off that the fact that they're misfits they're miserable and uh they don't want to be there and um but people are coming after them, so they have to do things. It, it's hilarious, uh, but it's also like Robocop level violence, like so, a lot of like some hyper violence. And um, one of the problems I had with it over the first couple seasons is the tonal shifts. Like, oh, this is kind of funny. I'm like, oh, that's really harsh and disturbing now. And this like graphic violence that I don't necessarily need in my life if I was just laughing a few uh, minutes ago. Um, but as the show progresses, it evens things out. Like, I, I'm sure there were some notes and they were kind of figuring out, hey, maybe we don't need to do this. Maybe we don't need to do this. And then the fourth season came out. And I think it really kind of found its groove where it's it's super weird. It's funny, but it's also, um, you know, violent, but but not in the sense of like, oh, that's like Hellraiser violence. I can't. Well, why is this in this show? <laughs> so, um, but it's so weird and surreal especially with like the first villain just simply talking to you the audience and telling you about you know the show and, and it's it, it's um it's worth a view i thought you might uh you might enjoy it maybe the violence definitely uh it Is doesn't spark my sure. interest yeah and like lately yeah. i just think it's and maybe writing intercepts is kind of a reflection on that there's no violence it's very it's just very mm-hmm. subtle you know i want it to be quiet i think 
an indictment or just like a look at how humanity is. I mean, we're sitting here talking like the day after a mass shooting in California. They happen, you know, they're just so common that we live in this ultra violent world. A thing I think is weird too is like if someone from the right, quote unquote, is ostracized from Hollywood, they go make these like straight to streaming movies about moving to a small town and taming a horse. And it's the left, it's Hollywood as a, as an entity that is making all the gun movies. It makes no sense. Like, so I really want to, I think that's where we could find a middle ground. Like, let's support these mm-hmm. horse taming movies and humans yes. at their better nature as opposed to, so yeah. when it's violence, like I was watching More Slow Hallmark Horses. More Channel. Yeah. yeah, just just anything that has to do with like people being relatively decent to each other. Um, yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah. Here, here. <laughs> so yeah, it's definitely a weird show. It's kind of fun. The violence is a little off-putting, but it's it's kind of got that weird surreal storytelling in it that like might interest you. I, I would say watch it with a fast-forward button. <laughs> and, okay. Uh, <laughs> to kind of check it out but uh, but like i said the last um season really kind of um they they figure it out where nothing's jarring it's just weird and funny and cool um, all right doom but, patrol uh, uh, um so yeah you know it, it's i think we've got time i'm trying to look at i'm looking at my list right now i think we've got time for uh yeah do one or two more uh why okay. don't you do one more dave okay um, on Netflix, I've been watching the Untold documentary series, like mm-hmm. one here and there. So like the Tim Donahue, he was the NBA ref. They go into the, the backstory of that. To, um, and then the and one, remember that? The basketball, uh, they did like the fancy dribbling. And that whole story was really fascinating because I remember that, like the and one tour. And, you know, the, there were players that were kind of celebrities. And then all of a sudden it just disappeared. And so that was one that when it came up, I was like, ah, I'll check that out. Um, I like when I have a limited amount of time to just try to ingest a documentary and I've gone away a little bit from like space and nature because I think at this point they just feel repetitive. And I'm like, I don't go out as much to watch like comets and stuff. I'm like, yeah, it's going on out there all the time. I don't need to see one like fly by us. It's constantly happening. And to learn about it's still there. It it hasn't gone anywhere. (laughs) It's not like, but look at that one that proves something like I, I, I get it. And I don't need to see larvae hatching and knowing at this moment in the life of the great. I just, I'm like willfully kind of ignorant to, yeah, I mean, at some point we learn all about the natural world and that is really great. But now I want to know like what happened to those basketball players that were so sweet at dribbling? What's going on there? (laughs) (laughs) So the untold. The untold, um, yeah. Uh, now, one of the other shows I've been watching is um, Only Murders in the Building. Speaking oh, of violence. Yeah. And, Love uh, that. <laughs> this is uh, um, with uh, Martin Short and Steve Martin. And it is such a joy to see them on screen and interacting. And, I mean, those guys, uh, they're in their 70s. And <laughs> it's it's still giving you, like, a master class in comedy. It's they They haven't lost a step. They're just... They're on screen and you just can't help but laugh. They are just masters of the craft. And and, and to morph into sl- their like their ages, their physical you know, they're not yeah. trying to be the nineteen eighties version of themselves. They're no. they play mm-hmm. right off of like the who they are now. It's so good. Yeah. And to add Selena Gomez in as like, you know, the young <laughs> millennial that uh, <laughs> um, can't relate to them and they can't relate to it. It's, you know, it, it's perfect. It's great casting. It's a it's a great show. 
The only thing I like, I have a problem with a little bit, and there's nothing you can do about it, is that uh, um, it, it feels like um, a one-season premise <laughs> that, you know, we're going to get yeah. three seasons on. Like, around the second season, I'm like, yeah, I, I mean, how much, how many murders can we really deal <laughs> with? But at the same time, it's like it's podcasting and my favorite, you know, comedians that I grew up watching, and, and it, it's... You forgive any flaw of this show because you're so engaged watching them. And, um, and you know, the supporting characters are all good. You know, I don't even... Tina Fey is hilarious as the, uh, the, <laughs> the sociopathic NPR host of a podcast. <laughs> and it's, it's absolutely fantastic. So, so it's really fun. It's just a real stretch of the premise, but um, forgivable because it's just, you know, it's just great watching Steve Martin and Martin short. Like I want to see this show wrap up and then I want to immediately watch them in another show. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know if that's their plan, but that's what I would want. So I feel that way. You know how you (laughs) like existentially, if you looked at being alive on planet earth as a bit like a prison sentence and you can really flourish. Some people go and they do phenomenally well in prison, but overall you're trying to just bide your time. You're trying to, whether you're hoeing a field and, and creating a farm or you're passing the time in an apartment, you want to have relationships and activities and moments that feel okay and make the time go by easier. And it's weird that we see something like Steve Martin and Martin Short and go, I don't know if I want to watch that. Because the moment you sink into it, you're like, yeah, I need this in my life. They've, I've, <laughs> yes. they've been a part of my life for virtually all of it. And I've always yeah. enjoyed it. Why was I hesitant? Mm. Why did I think, oh, mm. no, if I need that? And then... It's just their energy, the show, the yeah, the stakes, the plot lines. Those are bonuses, but just having their kind of joyful energy, like, ah, this feels fun. It's nice. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Just, even just like the asides, they're in the elevator and uh, it's like, oh, you're, you're wearing makeup for your audition. I'm not wearing makeup. Oh, yeah, me neither. <laughs> so, I mean, just like the quick ones like that. I'm like, oh, my God. Hilarious. Yeah. So. No, it's so fun. Well, uh, uh, David, we have covered a lot of ground. So before we wrap up, uh, please tell everyone where they could find The Endless Abyss and your podcast, being that you do all your own code. Is it harder to find? (laughs) (laughs) It's weird to have 10 episodes out because just that, Mm -hmm. just writing it, recording it, editing it, sound design, searching for free stock sound thing big shout out to freesound.org great community over there using a lot of zero creative commons licenses also foleying mm-hmm. a lot of sound uh, but the endlessabyss.org is where you can go um you can find it on most podcast apps it's not on spotify i don't like how they do business um mm-hmm. and so the other ones that it's not on it's the same thing like when you go to sign the terms and conditions a lot of times it wants to like make copies on the server and be allowed to use those and repl- and just things that feel a little like hang on a second so it's on apple and google and if you're if you're like but i need it on this one maybe look into getting a different player Maybe see how like beholden you are to the current one you use and if it is treating the entertainment you receive through it fairly. Um, but the endlessabyss.org uh, slash intercepts or just search intercepts and or David Huntsberger where you get podcasts. Ten episodes, lots of comedy names. Chris Mancini coming up um, and hopefully a recurring character because he's really good. And, um, oh, thank you. Can't wait oh, to hear it. Yeah, man, that was a fun one. That whole storyline hasn't even been introduced yet. So lots more to come, but the first 10 are available. And um, hopefully people will 
listen and spread the word a bit so that uh, I can make more in a little bit easier fashion. <laughs> That's all. Resources are great. So, yeah. You're telling me. <laughs> well, uh, thanks, everyone. And for more info and for uh, merchandise, you can go to whitecatentertainment.com. You can get T-shirts, signed books and graphic novels, mugs, A Quiet Journey's Blanket and more. You can also join a monthly mailing list that I probably send out every two to three months, so it's very unintrusive uh, when you get an email from us. You can also follow on Twitter for now, <laughs> or at Facebook at White Cat Stories. Just look for the White Cat either sleeping or flying with a jetpack. You can also contact the show about advertising or anything else in your mind through the website as well. Thanks again, everyone, for the support. Please don't forget to rate and or review the show and uh, stay safe, everybody. Thanks again. Dave, thanks again. It was great uh, catching up as always. Yeah, likewise. Thanks, Chris. I really appreciate it. Take care, everybody. We'll talk to you next time. Bye-bye.